0: Welcome to all of our viewers, whether you are a regular or a first-timer. Make sure you stick around for the Digital Cafe and let us know where you are watching from. If you're looking for a faith community, click on the Connect card, and we would love to help you get into community. As we continue in our summer series, Open and Unashamed, a study of our favorite psalms, I'm excited to speak with you about one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is an epic psalm of remorse, sorrow, regret, and renewal, as King David pours out his heart in corporate worship, begging God to grace him with God's forgiveness and restore God's presence in his life. To understand the desperation of Psalm 51, we need to go back to the book of 2 Samuel. Verse 1 of chapter 11 says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab But David remained at Jerusalem. In the spring of the year, when kings go out to war, David didn't go. What a loaded statement. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're told that God had called David to go out in battle and fight against the nations that would either be a danger to Israel or lead the nation into idolatry. But this time, David stayed home. When David quit acting kingly, when he stopped doing what God had called him to do, His life went sideways and he fell into sin, and that had an impact on the entire nation. Now, side note to Christ's followers when we stop doing the things God has called us to do, we open ourselves up to temptation. When we are not doing what God has intended for us to do, our minds wander, we take our eyes off Jesus. And we focus on things we think will give us instant gratification or things we think we need, things we think will make us feel better, feel more complete, or feel more powerful. That's what David did. The time of the year when kings go to war, David was at home. Bored, perhaps distracted, vulnerable, self-absorbed, easily influenced, we're not sure. We pick up the story in 2 Samuel 11 verse 2. See, David was captivated by Bathsheba's beauty. And even though people informed David that Bathsheba was a married woman, he did not stop pursuing her. In fact, David made a willful, deliberate choice. He chose to sin against God. He chose to sin against Bathsheba, to sin against her husband Uriah, and against the people of Israel. King David's sins were more devastating than those around him and than many of our sins. But at our core, we are no different than David. David. We too do things that God has specifically commanded us not to do. We, like David, do not see the consequences of our sins until it's too late. We too are blind to our sin and even think nothing of our sinful rejection of God's ways for us. Like David, we too need others to point out our sin. Just like David needed someone to point out his sinfulness, the sinfulness of his actions. And We read about it in 2 Samuel where it says, The Lord sent sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms and was like a daughter to him. Nathan said to David, you are that man. David, you are the one who took another man's wife. You are the one who killed her husband. You are the one who violated the sanctity of friendship and marriage and sexual purity. David, you you abused your position, your power, your privilege, and you didn't even stop to consider what you were doing. There must have been... That must have been a pin drop kind of moment. I'm sure silence filled the air. How would David respond? What would he do? Would he have Nathan killed in a rage of anger? Would he deny, explain, justify, and rationalize his behavior? Would he simply respond in arrogance? I'm a king. I can do what I want to do. Or would he own his sin? I think too often we sound like professional athletes who when caught in some outrageous mistake, read a script for an image management specialist from an image management specialist that sounds something like, if I've offended anyone, I am sorry. These actions do not reflect who I am or the values I hold. That's image management. When the prophet, the friend, the family member, the life group member, the prayer partner, or the neighbor, the boss, the employee, the son or daughter, when the Holy Spirit stands in front of you, and says, you are that man, you are that woman, how will you respond? Will it be denial? Will it be justification? Will it be rationalization? Will it be defensiveness? Will you run away and try and start over where no one knows you? The human tendency, whether we follow Jesus or not, is to run from our failures, to rationalize our hurtful actions, and to minimize the consequences of our poor choices resulting in pain, suffering, isolation, and relational distance between us and others and between us and God. That is why this is such a big deal. Because it impacts so many of us. Psalm 51 is not written for the few who sin. It is written for the many who betray God and their own conscience and the people they love. It is written for you. It's written for me. Some of us have been practicing fraud for a long time in fear of being discovered. Some have been or are currently involved in sexually immoral activities or relationships, practicing sex out of God's intended plan, which he meant to be between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Some have inflicted cruelty or abuse on other people, maybe on others who are closest to you. Some are living and doing business in the gray zone of the law, misrepresenting God but staying technically legal. Some people are involved in financial practices which are corrupt which would shock people closest to you if they knew. Some are involved in deeply sinful and highly destructive patterns of behavior. And any group of people, I know that the majority have sinned against God and against others because we're people. You cannot dismiss it. You cannot pretend it never happened. If that is you, note this. This is important. What you do next, what you do today will be a matter of personal and spiritual life and death. You can beat yourself up or you can carry sin and guilt around your neck like a giant burden. You can live in denial or you can choose another way. You can choose David's way. You can choose the freedom of Psalm 51. How? Well, first of all, freedom is possible if we choose it. David jumps right in. No warm up, no beating around the bush, no small talk, verse one, Psalm 51 have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse cleanse me from my sin. David knew there was no point trying to justify his behavior. He throws himself on God's mercy and appeals to God's grace. David knows his only hope is that God's grace is greater than his sin. There's nothing David has done Even as the one who is known as the man after God's own heart. That he can present to God to pay the price for his sin. All he can do is go to God. Friends, the place to start is to say, I did it. It was me. I have no excuse. All I want is to be clean. I want to live with a free conscience. I want nothing to stand between me and you, God. I repent of my sin. Do you know the difference between remorse and repentance? Here are my simple definitions. Remorse is when people feel really bad about the bad thing they have done. They don't like that feeling and they want the feeling to stop as soon as possible. Remorse is more about the one who has committed the offense than about those the offense was committed against. Remorse says, I will do whatever I need to do to stop feeling this way. Remorse says, I'm really sorry I got caught or I was found out. Remorse is self-absorbed. Repentance, on the other hand, says, I have done wrong and I will submit myself to the authority of God and his people and I will do whatever I need to do to make things right. Repentance declares, not only do I want to make things right, I want to walk, I want to live in a new direction, a healthy direction, a free and forgiveness direction. Do you see the difference? Let me ask you, if you're dealing with something that you know you need to fix, are you remorseful or repent or repentant? See David was moved beyond remorse and into full repentance. See freedom is possible when we are willing to deal with reality. What is reality for David? Psalm 51 verses 3 and 4. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Though no sins could be committed more directly against another person than adultery and murder, David recognizes that his sin was first and foremost against God. Every sin is first against God because every sin is a rejection of God's care and his priorities for us. The focus of our sinfulness is not that we have behaved badly and hurt others, even though we have. Our sinfulness is not simply a moral failure. Our sinfulness is a rejection of God and is saving work through Jesus. All too often, we, sin, we see sin simply as a moral failure and that we are to feel badly about. David's sin, our sin, runs so much deeper than that. Living in alignment with God's revealed will and word is not simply a moral exercise. It is a relational exercise. Remember, God reconciled us to himself through Jesus. We, through Christ, can walk in relationship with the creator God as members of his family. We live under his reign as king. To sin is to reject that rule and provision. It is like saying, God, I no longer want to be part of your family. God, your leadership, your priorities, your care are not enough for me. That is why every sin is first and foremost against God. That is why David's response to Nathan's rebuke was, I have sinned against the Lord. Author Jim Collins, in his famous leadership book, Good to Great, tells the story of James Stockdale, former vice presidential candidate who, during the Vietnam War, was held captive as a prisoner of war for over seven years. He was one of the highest ranking naval officers at the time. During this horrific period, Stockdale re- was repeatedly tortured and had no reason to believe he'd make it out alive. Held in the clutches of the grim reality of his hell world, he found a way to stay alive by embracing both the harshness of a situation with a balance of healthy optimism. Stockdale explained this idea as the following, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. In the simplest explanation of this paradox, it's the idea of hoping for the best, but acknowledging and preparing for the worst. Even though this wasn't written to address our sin, the principle applies. If we want to move forward in life with God and with relational strength and health, we have to face the reality of our deepest sins without losing faith that God's grace and plan will prevail. See, freedom is possible when we own our sin. David has his Stockdale moment in verse five. He said, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. I like how the New Living Translation puts it, for I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Like David, we are all born in sin. We are all born spiritually dead, out of relationship with God and in need of renewal. David pours out his heart in prayer in Psalm 51 verse six. He said, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Healing that does not address the root cause is vain and delusional. The heart must be made right or nothing is right. When we get real with our sin, we can also enjoy real healing and restoration. See, David knew he didn't simply need to identify his sin. He didn't simply need to own his sin. He had to call out to the Holy One who could restore him, heart, mind, and soul. And David cried out in public worship. The ESV version says, purge me with hyssop. The New Living says, purge my sins and I will be clean. Wash me whiter than snow. Give me my joy again and you have broken me and let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sin. Remove the stain from my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. David cries out for purification, for washing and cleansing. David's request to be cleansed with hyssop refers to the use of hyssop at religious ceremonies to sprinkle sacrificial blood on the altar. This represented the removal of sin through the shedding of blood. This is also a foreshadowing of Jesus' shedding of blood for the forgiveness of our sins. David asked God to let him once again rejoice in being right with God. David wanted a renewal of his relationship with God. And he remembered that God had taken his spirit away from Saul as he took away Saul's throne from him because of his sin. And David did not want that to happen to him. So in verse 9, he says, don't keep looking at my sin. David is saying, when you look at me, I want you to see me, not my sin. See, so often when we sin, we feel like everyone can see right through us to the sin we are carrying. We feel defined by our sin. But God, through the work of his spirit, will, if you are willing, if we are willing, if we are open and honest, if we run to him, he will renew our hearts, he will heal our wounds and walk in intimacy with us again. Remember, it was not God who moved away from David, it was David who moved away from God. A number of years ago, I pastored uh, at, the, at a church and in that church, one of our pastors quit abruptly. It seemed strange to me. Several months later, the truth came to light. He had been having an affair with one of our part-time staff. And we entered into a process of repentance and forgiveness, restoration and renewal with all the people involved. Since he led publicly as a pastor, he confessed his sin publicly to our members. And while some people wanted to keep it all private, our leadership was convinced that if things were kept quiet, he would never be free. The goal was restoration, renewal and freedom. We won't find freedom in our secrets. He and his wife agreed to the process and their marriage was restored. And several years later, we had the blessing and the opportunity to recommission him to whatever ministry God had called them to. In fact, when the church did a message on adultery, he preached it out of his own story. He is one of the most respected people in that church today. And he is currently serving as the chairman of their church board. You see, God restored, renewed, and cleaned him up and restored the joy of his salvation. Freedom prepares us to serve God. See, when repentance has turned into renewal and restoration, we are free to serve God. Our burden has been lifted. We are filled with gratitude for God's goodness and grace. We have a firsthand experience to share. And often, the more we have been forgiven for, the more we live in awe of who God is, how much he loves us, and how good he has been to us in bringing forgiveness and freedom into our lives. David is both crying out for and living in his deep sense of renewal, restoration, and freedom. David writes in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. First, David's restoration led to his reorientation in life. Because of his repentance and restoration, he could teach sinners God's ways. It has been said that Christianity is one beggar giving another beggar a piece of bread. David was a beggar who found the bread of forgiveness and rather than hoarding it for himself, wanted to pass it on to other beggars, other sinners. Second, repentance and restoration lead to worship. Only when delivered from his blood guiltiness could he join in praising God. Forgiveness draws worship out of us. Worship is a natural response response to having our guilt removed. And third, David recognized that God was not interested in ritual sacrifice. God is not interested in people going through the motions of going to church, of serving, of attending a life group. God knows the difference between empty ritual and heartfelt worship. The sacrifice that David had to bring was a broken and repentant heart, a humble spirit fully penitent for sin. That is what God desires and will receive. In the Old Testament, anyone who sinned, as David did, had to receive a word from a priest or a prophet indicating that they were forgiven. Only then could the penitent person again take part in worship and make a peace offering. In the New Testament, the word of forgiveness is forever written in God's word. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. I love how it's written in First John chapter 1, verses 7 to 9. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, meaning Jesus, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a great summary of God's promises for those who put their faith in Jesus and receive his forgiveness, healing, and restoration. If you struggle with one or more of these areas, you belong at Willingdon because Willingdon is a community of forgiven sinners and for people who are looking for forgiveness and life with Christ. This is not a place for the self-righteous. We are not here to condemn or criticize each other. We are people who are trying to do the right thing. We are a people who will walk with each other and dealing with, not ignoring, but dealing with the sin issues we face. It begins with admitting need, admitting the sin and the desire to walk in a new direction. We all need to find forgiveness in Christ and accept his power, the power of the spirit to change us. It's your choice. It's my choice. And I pray you will make make the right choice today and every day. We're going to move into a time of celebrating communion or the Lord's Supper shortly. A simple celebration, celebrating God's forgiveness for us through Jesus' death and resurrection. But before we do, I'd like to pray with you. If you've never given your life to Christ, I will pray a simple prayer that you can pray with me. And if you're stuck in your sin, I will have a prayer for you as well. So for those who don't know Jesus but would like to, pray with me these words right now. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. Thank you that you welcome all who are repentant. Thank you that you welcome us with open arms. And so Jesus, I run to you today. Forgive my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come and lead me every day as I seek to follow you. Teach me to walk in your ways and bring newness and renewal to every part of my life. And Jesus, for those who know you here but are struggling with sin, who know what they are trying to hide from others, who have lived a life of being a fraud perhaps, for days or weeks or months or years, for those who are in denial when others say something's off. I simply pray, Father, I pray that the people who are living in denial would see that there is hope and healing in you. I pray that even now, they would give that sin to you. They would repent. They would make things right with others. They would recognize that Defensiveness will not bring healing. That justification will not bring healing. That rationalization will not bring healing. Father, as your Holy Spirit comes and touches those who are stuck in their sin. Your Spirit who brings conviction and says, I want to come and bring healing. Father, that each person who is in that place will open up their arms and their hearts to you right now and give that sin to you. And walk into repentance. The joy of of salvation, the renewal of heart and mind and relationship with you. And they will take the steps of obedience to speak with those they have wronged and to make things right between themselves and you and themselves and others so they can walk in the full joy that David writes about. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. At Willingdon, it is our custom to celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of the month. So I hope you've got your elements before you, perhaps you're gathered as friends or a family, to come together and celebrate and remember what Jesus did in dying on the cross for our sins. Having come out of Psalm 51, which is a Psalm about relationships, I thought it was appropriate to go to 1 Corinthians 11 and the text there on celebrating communion. In that text, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he is challenging them about how they are treating each other as they come together for the Lord's Supper, which they celebrated as a meal. There Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And so Paul is actually speaking to the community and saying how you are treating each other when you come together for the Lord's Supper is inappropriate. He's saying reflect on your relationships with each other. Reflect on how you are treating those who are poor among you. Are you waiting for them? Are you honoring them? Are you being gluttonous? at the dinner table is basically what he is addressing. And so he wants them to be in good relationship because when we are not in good relationship with each other, we misrepresent the death and resurrection of Christ. We misrepresent what his work on the cross accomplished in reconciling us to himself and to each other. So as we come to the table, the reflection piece is, am I in good relationship with God and with my fellow brothers and sisters in the family of God. Is there any relationship that I need to make right? And we're going to take a bit of time and reflect on that question to discern for where our relationships are at with each other and with God. And of course, you can make your relationship with God right immediately, simply by praying and asking for forgiveness for your sins. And if God lays it on your heart to make something right with another person, I would encourage you to do that today. Pick up the phone. Make a coffee appointment. Whatever it is that you need to do, but walk in obedience. Do not place yourself in a place of judgment because of a relational breakdown. So let's take a moment to stop and reflect about where our hearts are at with God and with each other. Then Paul says to the church in Corinth, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup, and after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take the bread that you have. If you have a loaf, break it, or a cracker, break it apart. This is Jesus' body broken for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for sending your son. I thank you that Jesus lived a sinless life and that he submitted himself to you and went to the cross in an act of obedience. And his body was broken so that ours does not have to be. And he took upon himself the punishment for us all. He was our substitute, and he took our sin upon himself so that if we put our faith in him, we could walk whole and clean before you. Thank you for the broken body of Jesus. Let's participate together. Now take the cup which represents the shed blood of Christ. In Psalm 51, David said, clean me with hyssop, which was used in the ceremony to spread the blood on the altar for the sacrifice. Foreshadowing the shedding of the blood of Christ. The blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we take this, we remember what Jesus did. Again, let's pray. Jesus, thank you that your blood was shed for us to fulfill the prophecies of old. You are our sacrificial lamb, that Passover lamb whose blood took away the sin of the world. Your body broken, your blood shed. And because of that, regardless of what story we walk in the door with, regardless of what sin we have committed, how ugly our sin has been, your shed blood covers it all. And so we can come before you even today, even if this is our first time to say, Jesus, come and forgive my sin. Come and heal my spirit. Come and make me your child. And that you do that, and it's possible because of the broken body and the shed blood. So thank you. Thank you for the blood that you shed. Thank you that you went to the cross so we can come before you clean and whole and new, renewed your child, God, part of your family, to walk in wholeness because of the shed blood of Christ. In your name I pray, amen. Let's drink together. This Lord's Supper was a great feast of celebration. Celebration because the memory of the the broken body and the shed blood of Christ which makes new life possible. And so celebration is natural, a natural response to the Lord's Supper where we just say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for all you have done. Thank you that I can walk in wholeness today. Thank you that I can live in anticipation of your new kingdom which will be complete when you return. Thank you for your goodness and grace. And so in closing we pray We say, thank you, Jesus, for your goodness to us. Thank you for the grace that you've poured out on us. And thank you that we simply put our faith in you. And by doing so, you forgive us, you give us new life, you fill us with your spirit, and you lead us every day of our lives. Lead us into this week, every day. May we walk in obedience to the prompting of your spirit, to the truth of your word, to point people to you and to reflect the reality of who you are. In your name I pray. Amen.